0: Sunday today, kind of, right? I don't know if you call it Mission Sunday, but that's what it is, and that's probably why I'm here, because that's also my heartbeat, is what God is doing um, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and um, that to me is what brings life to a community of faith, is when we are engaged, to the extent that we are engaged in God's mission. We are alive and vital, and we feel, we feel the energy of the Spirit among us. That, I believe, is the secret. It's not really a secret, but that is the secret ingredient of a, of a, of a church that is alive and, and thriving. Amen? Do you say amen around here? Okay, well, feel free today to do that. I do want to also thank you for your engagement in mission. Um, through, through Serve Globally, I know you have other ministries and, and, and missionaries that, that you may be uh, also supporting, but um, I want to thank you for, on behalf of Serve Globally, your mission agency, Serve Globally being the Evangelical Covenant Church's um, mission arm or International Ministries arm, uh, we consider ourselves your agency. And uh, I want to thank you for your support of, uh, of Kathy and Peter Choi Lee, who are serving in, in, in France. I also want to thank you for your involvement in the, the vital ministry of Covenant World Relief, um, of which your, uh, your pastor serves on, on the uh, advisory board. Vital ministries that you are part of. And I come thanking you for your participation in in those ministries. You know, at the core of my understanding of God's mission is the local church. I believe deeply that you are God's primary agent of change. Everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, God has um, invited us, the church, followers of Jesus, to be part of the mission to practice the whole gospel across cultures and around the world until Christ returns. I believe when we accept this invitation to join God in God's mission, we find life and vitality for ourselves and for our church. The church has been calling that invitation to join God's mission the Great Commission. That's what we've been calling it um, for uh, for over 100 years now. You know, for a guy who has uh, considered himself a missionary, at least since 1989, uh, when my wife Janice and our then two kids went to my ethnic homeland of the Philippines and then served there as missionaries um, for almost 10 years. We went there with two kids, came back with four. You would think that somebody who has lived and breathed mission that I, I visit Matthew 28, 16 through 20 regularly. But I want to confess to you that I really hadn't. I, I, I know in here um, that Matthew 28, which we've been calling the Great Commission, is foundational to our faith and calling. But I just have rarely looked at that passage until I took on this job almost five years ago, and uh, this morning I just want to share some brief thoughts with you from my personal reflections from the Great Commission passage. Let's read it first. I'm going to, I'm going to turn to Matthew 28. I'm going to be reading out of the. Uh, there it is, New Revised Standard Version. In fact, I'm just going to turn around and read it because I can't read this anymore. <laughs> um, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. This is, okay. So we, I, uh, let's just be Episcopalians for a second. So when I say this is the word of the Lord, I would love to hear you say, thanks be to God. Let's do that again. This is the word of the Lord. See, you'd make good Episcopalians if you wanted to be, right? A beautiful passage um, that has inspired the church to engage in God's mission all over the world. I see the Great Commission as the engine of the church. Without it, the church just sits there. I remember a few years ago when I was on the hunt for a uh, for a classic Volkswagen Beetle. I, I've I've had a crush on that car forever, and um, I was really surprised one day when I was on Craigslist and I I, I found one that seemed to be in my price range because you know these days it's a classic and it's so expensive and, in, in in Craigslist, there was one listed within my price range, and I was like, "Whoa, this is this is something. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this person a call." So you did you, I did what you do on Craigslist to make contact with the owner, and uh, I got him on the phone, and he was all excited, telling me about this this restoration project he's been on, uh, buffing this out and buffing that out. And he was he was really proud of of this car that he had on sale over Craigslist. And, and uh, I was getting excited too. And, and, and after he, um, you know, started just, just sort of bragging about, about the, the project, he said, and, and uh, sir, if you want, um, I'll even help you find an engine for it. <laughs> Click. Um, like that beautiful, shiny... Volkswagen Beetle without an engine, so too the church, as shiny and fancy as it may be, isn't going anywhere without the engine of mission. Here's the thing, though. As I have been um, looking under the hood, if so to speak, of, of the church and seeing, the mis- and seeing mission, What I've been seeing is that its greatness, the Great Commission, the greatness of the Great Commission, its greatness depends on what the vehicle of the church is carrying to the nations. The church, horse-powered by the engine of the Great Commission, in and of itself, is not that great. The Great Commission is what makes the church go, but what's inside being transported is what makes it great. Without taking into account the cargo, what it's carrying, the church is just a vehicle and the engine of mission is just what makes it move from point A to point B. So what's so great? about the Great Commission, the great things that the Great Commission Church carries around the world. That's what makes it great. I hope this will become clearer as we go. By the way, um, this should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway, that the description Great Commission is not in the Bible. Sometimes the church treats it that way, as if it came from the mouth of Jesus. As far as anyone knows, um, the phrase Great Commission was coined, or at least um, uh, popularized by the famous missionary Hudson Taylor, about 127 years ago. And it caught on so well among mission-minded people for the last century that many think it came from the mouth of Jesus, or at least the pen of Matthew, and uh, neither is true. Now, by pointing this out, I'm not suggesting that the Great Commission isn't great. It is great. Taylor was right 127 years ago to, to call what Jesus said in Matthew 28 great. But there are other greats which, following Taylor's lead, I'm going to take the liberty to point out this morning because I'm convinced that it's these other Bible greats that make the Great Commission great. (laughs) Did you get that? It's the other greats that make the Great Commission great. For example, consider the great mission statement in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, The way I see it, the great mission statement and the great commission are the bookends of Jesus' preaching ministry. They begin and end the life-transforming words of Jesus. And I contend this morning that without the great mission statement, one of the bookends that holds up the shelf of Jesus' teachings, I contend that without that, the other bookend, the Great Commission, isn't functional. What good are bookends if only one's working? If there was no great mission statement, if Jesus didn't proclaim good news to the poor, set prisoners free, heal the sick, and champion justice and peace, then what would be so great about the Great Commission that propels people forward to make more disciples who also don't proclaim good news to the poor, don't set prisoners free, don't heal the sick, and don't champion justice and peace? Now to me, that doesn't sound that good. Much less great. I've encouraged people through the The year is to substitute Jesus with church in the Luke 4 passage. So it reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon the church to bring good news to the poor. He has sent the church to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When churches reflect the great mission statement and then sends people out to the nations then the Great Commission is truly great. Which begs the question, how does does our mission statements fare as we hold them up to the great mission statement? Redeemer Life, I don't know your mission statement, but let me urge you to take a good look at it and compare it to the mission statement of Jesus. For if we're supposed to continue the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Spirit then we would need to adopt in some way the great mission statement as our own, whether or not we use the exact words of Jesus. The Great Commission needs the great mission statement in order to be great. Are you following me? Another great. In between these two great bookends, the great mission statement and the great commission, um, Sits the great sermon found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's better known as the Sermon on the Mount, but I just call it the Great Sermon. I've, I've not heard a better one, ever. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus begins, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And it just gets better and better as Jesus preached on. The great sermon instructs us on how to live the right side up values of the kingdom of God in an upside down world. I mean the audacity of Jesus, brothers and sisters, to say that the poor and the sad and the persecuted are the blessed ones. The audacity of Jesus to teach that our righteousness must exceed the piety of executive ministers and superintendents and pastors. The audacity to say not to worry about material things but to seek God's kingdom first. The great sermon is the manifesto for what the late theologian John Stott called the Christian counterculture. It's for those who embrace downward mobility, selfless community, cross-bearing danger, inevitable persecution, and trouble with both political and religious establishments. The 60s got nothing on the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus was the f- original hippie, if you will, in the best sense of that word. So was his cousin John, who left society and went to the desert and ate locusts and honey. Boy, this is a hard crowd. That you know, In other, other churches, people would be laughing and... The Great Sermon is a revolutionary manifesto. And through it, Jesus calls us to love the immigrant and welcome the refugee, despite and especially when the government tells us to be suspicious of immigrants and to keep refugees out. He calls us to be peacemakers in a world where mass shootings are commonplace. I believe that Jesus calls us to the great sermon, to wage peace, not with more guns, but with healing and reconciliation. He calls us to care for the poor, empower the marginalized, defend the weak, and advocate for the oppressed, and not disconnected to to these radical things. The teachings of Jesus here are also for those who long to experience saving love. abundant life, and overwhelming joy. Like I said, a great sermon. And I contend that the Great Commission is only great if the stuff of the Great Sermon is what we're committed to living out among those whom God has called us to serve around the world. Amen? The greatness of the Great Commission hinges on how well we live out the Great Sermon. Now, so far, the greats we've looked at are, are broad enough that most, if not all, God-fearing people around the world can essentially agree to them. Peace, compassion, justice. I mean, who would disagree with these things, right? Oh no, no, I'm against peace. No, I don't like justice. No, I, that, that's, you know, compassion, all that. I don't like it. You won't hear that. We all are for those things. But, but when we consider the next great, let's call it the great, sacrifice, Jesus' is suffering and death on the cross for the sins of the world, then what we do there is we specify our message. We're talking about Jesus here, who died to atone for the sins of the world and who rose again to become the hope of the world. The great sacrifice defines our proclamation of forgiveness and salvation and liberation and love and hope all in terms of Jesus, Savior of the world. I'm convinced that the great commission to make disciples among the nations is only great if we know precisely and personally who we're following and who we're preaching. We preach the great sacrifice. We preach the crucified and risen Jesus and thus make disciples of Jesus. Not just disciples of humanitarian moral goodness or generic peace and justice, But disciples of Jesus, the Lord of moral goodness, peace, and justice. Without this kind of specific preaching about Jesus, the Great Commission isn't so great. Reminds me of a cartoon I saw years ago. Two Unitarian Universalist evangelists were standing outside the front door of somebody's house talking to a lady, and one of them says to her, hello, you better laugh at this, hello. Hello. We're from the first Unitarian church down the street, and we're here to tell you whatever you want to hear. Come on. (laughs) Now, Unitarians are the brunt of that joke. Uh, My Unitarian friends laugh, too. Um, But it hits anyone who tends to water down the gospel of Jesus in an attempt to be relevant and hip. Guilty. Guilty. The Great Commission is only great when its motivation is the clear conviction of the hope that is found in the crucified and risen Jesus. Ready for another great? In John chapter 4, Jesus and a certain Samaritan woman were engaged in a fascinating conversation wherein Jesus said, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. From their conversation, we know that because of cultural differences, the Jews worshipped over here on that mountain, and the Samaritans worshipped God over there in that mountain. But in Christ, what I call the great reconciliation has come. And it's coming in its fullness when all peoples will worship together on the same mountain. We catch a glimpse of this in Revelation 7 when the seer saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. I'm a little amused when the world talks about diversity sometimes as if it was a new thing. A new radical thing. The Bible invented it. Diversity. Our unmatched creative God created us all differently. And it's beautiful. in unmatchable creativity the God we serve in Jesus Christ made all kinds of people who have formed into all kinds of cultures and nations. And in the Great Reconciliation we see that each of us retains our cultural and national identities. I'm Filipino-American now and I'll continue to be Filipino-American in God's future, worshipping God in Tagalog, And English, what we Filipinos call Taglish. (laughs) Any Filipinos here? And each of you you will continue to be who you are, worshiping God in your language. The great reconciliation is not a melting pot when we all turn into some kind of bland, monocolored people. God is too creative for that. On the contrary, the great reconciliation retains God's creativity in each of us and celebrates the coming together of diverse peoples united together in Jesus' name to worship the God of all peoples. This, I believe, is what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community. His vision was not just bringing black and white peoples together but all the colors in between. What he called later in life, this is lesser known, he called later in life the great world house. The beloved community became, in in Dr. King's thinking toward the end of his life, the great world house. It goes better with my sermon about all the greats too. The great world house and the great reconciliation are the same thing church, the greatness of the Great Commission depends on how well we practice the great reconciliation in our thought life, our daily life, our community life, our political voting life, our intercultural missional life. For now, for how can we accurately and effectively represent Jesus among the nations if we don't believe that Jesus is for all the nations. Did you get that? That's that's tweetable for anybody who's tweeting right now. How can we accurately and effectively represent Jesus among all the nations if we don't believe that Jesus is for all the nations? Time will allow me to um, mention just one more great. I call it the Great Appeal found in Romans chapter 12, where Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The great appeal. The great appeal urges us to live like Jesus, to live sacrificially in the service of others, in his name, to abandon self, And to all of self's demands, to commit wholeheartedly to something and someone greater than ourselves. The great appeal urges each of us to say with resolve, I am in, Lord, all the way in. Angela, thank you for your testimony today. Because you know what I heard? I heard somebody standing up here and saying, I am in, Lord all the way in. Angela and I just discovered that we emailed each other uh, a few months, uh, sometime last year, as uh, she explores the, the right avenue for her to be in, to live out the great appeal. Let's talk some more, okay? This is the crux of true and radical discipleship, folks. When Jesus and Jesus' mission are more important than our own lives. As I've gotten to know our covenant missionaries and ministry partners around the world, I've, I've only grown in my awe of them because if anyone is living out the great appeal, it's them. I've seen what they do as they care for the sick and malnourished, empower the poor, give voice to the voiceless, develop leaders and plant churches. I've seen what they endure on a daily basis, trying to live life and raise kids often without reliable running water and or electricity and or internet connection. Some of them face political and religious persecution. All these things to me add up to lives that are nothing short of heroic. These folks inspire me to take my faith seriously and passionately. Redeemer Life, thank you again for your support of missionaries and international ministries. Let me urge you to keep that part of your life together alive and well and growing. I love the emphasis of, of this Sunday's, uh, of this Sunday, mission. I'm biased, but every Sunday should have emphasized mission. Because that's where life is. That's when we're accomplishing and doing and living into exactly why we're here. When we engage sacrificially for the sake of others. When we do that, we grow. Let me urge you to keep that part of your life going. Yes, our missionaries and various ministries have served globally need your support in order to do what we do. But I'm convinced that you also need them. Shah, did you hear that? You also need them to flourish as a church by investing in the mission of God. You are investing in your own community discipleship. You believe that? I believe that. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that we can pull off the Great Commission only if we together embrace the great appeal as the paradigm for our lives and our church. To be engaged in God's mission, to bear witness to the whole gospel across cultures in a vulnerable, sometimes hostile world requires nothing less than radical commitment to God and God's purposes. See, this is, how, um, this is how you do a sermon when you can't decide which passage to preach. You just preach all of your favorites. I actually just touched on some of the greats in the Bible. There are many others that we don't have time to consider I didn't say a word, for example, about the great commandment to love God and love neighbor. Uh, There's also the great promise of Genesis 12 and the great covenant of Exodus 19 and the great requirement of Micah 6.8. I'll leave those Old Testament greats for your Old Testament professor pastor to preach. I bring up all of these greats to say that it is these that make the great commission great. It's great because it enables the church not just to go, but to go with the goods, (laughs) the goodness of the good news of the kingdom of God. And remember, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus is with us. Let's go, therefore, and make disciples, kingdom disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them and teaching them to obey all all the bible greats that Jesus commanded in humility and with great boldness amen let's pray lord what a privilege it is to to be invited by you to participate in your activity, your saving, redeeming activity in the world. Lord God, would you help us individually and as a church to discern, to listen intently to what your Spirit is saying, to what your Spirit is directing each of us and all of us. For we know, Lord, that when we plug in, when we connect, when we join the stream of your activity in the world, we find life. Thank you, God. Thank you for your invitation to join in your adventure to redeem the world and everyone in it. Amen.